Support for Criminal comes from BetterHelp Online Therapy. If I had an extra hour each day, I might spend it just being still and reading. No phone anywhere in sight. Figuring out what feels good isn't always easy. Therapy can help you suss out what is most important and make the time for it. And BetterHelp can make that entire process convenient and painless. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist in no time at all. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash criminal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash criminal. Support for Criminal comes from 1Password. 1Password uses industry-leading security to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. All you need to remember is 1Password that protects everything else. All of your logins, your credit card numbers, bank account numbers, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom criminal. That's number one, password.com slash criminal for two free weeks. OnePassword.com slash criminal. Hi, it's Phoebe. I wanted to let you know that starting right now, we're going to be bringing you more stories than ever before. Four episodes every month. This is a big deal to us and something we've been working toward for a long time. We're very excited about what's coming up and hope you'll listen and maybe tell a friend. Thanks very much. Now, here's the show. This episode contains language that may not be suitable for everyone. Please use discretion. Phoebe, I don't know how old you are, but do you remember when you were 22? Yes. What, what could you do? Everything. You could do everything. Well, that's how it was. How did you begin throwing the javelin? By accident. When I went to school, they didn't ask you if you wanted to go and participate in sport. They told you to. And I did that, and I found out that I was good at it. Picked up a javelin and was able to throw it. And that was about it. What did you like about it? What I liked about it was the effort. The, the throw is the lightest implement in athletics, and you can hit the living shit out of it. And I, I liked that. It was a, a moment in your life when you could do something full effort. This is Reg Spears. He grew up in Adelaide, Australia, in the 1940s. By the time he was in his early 20s, he'd become one of the best javelin throwers in the country. Javelin throwing is a track and field event, and it's an old one. It was added to the Olympic Games in Greece in 708 BC. The current Olympic record for the longest throw is just over 323 feet. I just took to it, and it felt right. And eventually I got in the Australian team for the Commonwealth Games uh, in Perth in 1962. While he was there, he met a javelin thrower from England named John McSorley. And uh, the moment we met, we became friends. He's rather brash, but he was very open. And we instantly had a rapport. We instantly got on with each other. John McSorley. And from that point on, 
he wanted to show me as much of Australia as he could because he was always saying it's the greatest country in the world. And we became really good friends. Look, I always describe him as he's actually outgoing for an Australian. Australians normally outgoing and he's outgoing for an Australian. Uh, But he's got a heart of gold. After the Commonwealth Games, John went home to London, and Reg went back to Adelaide and started training. He was hoping to qualify for the Australian team for the 1964 Olympics. But I got, I got injured. My, my right arm at the elbow was damaged, uh, and it, nobody seemed to know what it was. Because of his injury, Reg ran out of time to qualify for the Australian team. But he thought there might still be a chance for him to compete if he went to England. He got a job on a boat so he could work his way to England without having to pay. Did you did you look John up right when you got to England? Oh, yeah, sure. He suddenly turned up at my front door. Look, I was delighted to see him, but I was shocked. What did he say when he showed up? Ah, Matt, good to see you. You know, he was telling me, I think he'd given his last two and ninepence or something as a as a tip to the taxi driver. But he's full of joy. He was happy and he had no money. He's happy, had no money. And he stayed with me and we managed to get by. Today, Reg and John are in their 80s. But in 1964, they were in their early 20s. Life was a laugh a minute. I mean, typically, he would step out of my flat into the main road and stick his thumb out to hitch, hitch a ride. And a car would have a choice of running him down or stopping. <laughs> and he would, he would walk round to the driver and say, geez, mate, thanks for stopping I'm just going up here, up into town. Can you give us a lift? And he was so charming, uh, he used to get away with it. But Reg's injury didn't improve, and he didn't qualify for the Olympics. And uh, then the, the dilemma was how to get back to Australia <laughs> when you have no money. <laughs> a friend helped him get a job working with cargo at Heathrow Airport in London. But it was going to be a long time before he could save enough money to afford a plane ticket home. His daughter was about to turn three, and he says he wanted to get back before her birthday. He started thinking about other ways he could get home. And uh, I saw them shipping animals, you know, uh, by the various aircraft. And I knew that you could ship animals in these big jets, mainly, mainly little beagle dogs that they shipped all over the place. And uh, I thought, well, if the dogs can survive it, I could. So that's where I came up with the bright idea of jumping in a box and coming back home to Oz. So you saw that the beagles were making it alive, and, and you thought, maybe, I guess I could too. Yes, exactly that. Put a, I put a stamp on my ass and send myself home. <laughs> Basically, that was it. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Reg Spears isn't the first person to come up with the idea of shipping himself from one place to another. In 1849, an enslaved man in Virginia named Henry Brown 
escaped enslavement by shipping himself to a free state in the north. A carpenter helped him build a box that was labeled dry goods. It had three small air holes, and when Henry Brown climbed inside, he brought a pointed metal tool in case he needed to make more. He was in the box for 27 hours, traveling by wagon, train, and steamboat before he arrived in Philadelphia. After his successful escape, Henry Brown became famous, and he toured America and England to tell his story and perform magic tricks. He changed his middle name to Box. Sometimes he would burst out of a box on stage, the same one he'd burst out of when it was delivered to Philadelphia. In the early 1900s in England, an accountant named Reginald Bray spent a lot of time coming up with ways to test the limits of the British postal system. He sent a turnip with the address carved into it, a half-smoked cigar, and a bowler hat. When he learned that it was possible to send live creatures, he decided to try to mail both himself and his Irish terrier, Bob. The regulations permitted sending anything bigger than a bee and smaller than an elephant. Reginald Bray successfully mailed himself three times. The process just involved being escorted by a mail carrier. There's a photograph of him being delivered by registered mail to his own house in 1903. He's standing on the doorstep while his father signs for the package at the door. In 1909, two British suffragettes got the idea to send themselves to the Prime Minister's residence so they could speak with him face-to-face. They went to the post office and were escorted directly to 10 Downing Street. But when they were delivered, nobody would sign for them, and they were sent right back to the post office. It wasn't a total failure for the suffragettes, though. The stunt generated a lot of attention and put them on the front page of the Daily Mirror. At the same time in the United States, the Postal Service only delivered packages that were fewer than four pounds. But in 1913, the limit was increased. The regulations were a little vague, and people started testing the system. They mailed eggs, bricks, snakes, and children. Typically, parents would hand their children to postal carriers, and they were just carried or walked along the postal route to their destination, which was normally a relative's house. One Ohio couple shipped their 10-pound baby a mile away to his grandmother's house. The postage was 15 cents. They also decided to get the $50 insurance. The next year, the postmaster general made a new rule. No humans in the mail. In 1964, when Reg Spears started thinking he could ship himself from England to Australia, he confided in his friend, John McSorley. When you first brought this idea to John, um, what did he say? He said, you're crazy. (laughs) He said, you're out of your mind. Crazy bloody Aussie. (laughs) And, uh, but eventually he knew the situation, had no money, wanted to get back home. And this was plausible, you know, when you thought about it. And the, the, main, the main thing was it was COD. <laughs> Cash on delivery. So you don't have to pay? You don't have to pay until it actually arrives. 
Did you ever try and convince him not to do it? Yeah, of course. I said, you're mad, you're mad, crazy. Why would you do that? But water on a duck's back it was. And he, he was persistent. He said, look, I'm, I want to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I said, listen, if you're going to do it, then I've got to make the crate. I'm not having you going in some bloody orange box and busting out of the thing. And so that was it. So we were then, they were full on, that's what we were going to do. First, John had to figure out how to make a box that Reg could fit in and stay in for hours and hours. And it couldn't look like there was a person inside. For a start, I didn't want it to look like a coffin. So it couldn't be coffin size. The biggest box you could put on a jet aircraft was five feet by three feet by two and a half feet. Now that's a big box. How tall are you? I'm about six foot one. Okay, so it wouldn't be the most comfortable journey, but you no, could, it you could the do most it. Comf- that's, you, you're right, but I was 22. You can put up with a lot when you're that age. <laughs> Ask me now to do it, and I wouldn't. <laughs> there wasn't enough room in John's apartment to build the box, so he worked on it in secret at a nearby college. John and Reg had spent a lot of time on campus training for the javelin throw and eating in the cafeteria there and knew a few people at the school. They didn't know what the box was for. It was just a box. We didn't advertise it, uh, but we were able to just put it out of the way so that not too many questions were asked. But then if they did ask questions, they wouldn't believe you anyway. (laughs) John and Reg tried to think through everything that could go wrong and designed the box so that Reg would have what he needed, could stay hidden and be able to breathe. He, he built it so that there was, the slats were plenty of air in it, and I could even see through the slats. And, and if, the, if the box was going to have little spaces so you could see and breathe, how were you, gonna, how was, how were you hidden within the box? Well, we, we put brown paper over, over the inside so that nobody could see in. And I could just remove the paper and see out. The whole idea, of course, is, well, it never occurred to me at the time, or John, about claustrophobia or um, you're going to be in pitch darkness all the way and all that didn't come in. We didn't think about that. We just went and did it. Where, where you were, I mean, inside the box, did you have anything so that you could hold on in case the box was tumbled around? Yes, there were straps that fit in there to, to hang on to, to uh, that would keep me in place. Uh, also, he had a strap attached so that while he was lying down, he could strap himself in when he's being moved. And and was there was a way to get out? Yes, both ends. I could they're just locks, they just undo them and what the end would pop out, either end. Did you have to say what was in the box? Phoebe, we told lies. We hit on this idea that he should go as rubberized emulsion for a shoe company. How did you come up with the idea for emulsion? For for did you just pick something or? Well, well, something that had a bit of weight in it and a bit of you know something that people wouldn't even know what it was. So he invented this shoe company called the Supreme Shoe Company, Gloucester Road, London, and it was to be delivered to a Mr. Graham in Perth, 
collected by Mr. Graham and paid COD. Wait, was Mr. Graham real? No. Just made up? It's all, it's all made up. We thought the Supreme Shoe Company sounded pretty good, and uh, Mr. Graham, that sounded sort of in a pretty ordinary kind of name, acceptable. So that was it. And and you had you had labeled this cash on delivery, so they yep. assumed that someone would pay for it when they picked the box up. <laughs> that that was the whole idea, Phoebe. <laughs> I mean, because I bet I bet it was re- really expensive. Yeah, it was uh, it was about four hundred pound, four hundred and forty pound. How much would a ticket home have cost? Oh, uh, not much less than that. It would have been three hundred pound, three hundred fifty pound. Which was right out of my league, and it would take me a year to save it. 350 pounds in 1964 would be about 8,500 U.S. dollars today. The route they chose started in London, stopped in Paris, and stopped again in Mumbai, where he would have to change planes. From Mumbai, he would go to Singapore for a fuel stop before finally arriving in Perth, Australia. Did you tell anyone at home that you were planning on... No. No, I didn't say anything to anyone. And and did you have any idea how long it would take? Well, no, not really. Reg and John put a couple of pillows and a blanket inside the box. And then they tried to think through what else Reg would need. He liked baked beans. And I was working for Heinz at that stage. So he'd have... A number of tins of baked beans, which he'd eat raw, and he loved them. So that's what he brought, baked beans. Baked beans, yeah. Baked beans. Did you have anything else to eat? No. No, because I figured, you know, I didn't particularly want to uh, have a bowel movement in there. I mean, Rich had an appetite of a horse. He really did. And... uh, And so we thought, right, let's slow down your system so you don't need to go to the loo. He packed water, a flashlight, and a gift for his mother. Placemats with pictures of guards at the Tower of London. He also packed a suit to change into when he landed in Australia. They put two labels on the box, fragile and this way up. When you when you just about to get in the box, um, did you did you run around a little bit or stretch, knowing that that you were going to be in there for a while? No, no. There's the bloody box. Get in the damn thing and stop buggerizing around. So you weren't nervous. No, went, no. I wasn't. Strangely enough, you know, I'm not trying to say I was brave. I think I was cl- closer to being <laughs> stupid. But no, there. Once the ball started to roll, there wasn't time to sort of be frightened or anything like that. Just put up with it and ride it out. And that's basically it. Was John worried at all? Did you sense? Well, he could have. He could have had some. Some thoughts in that regard, but when it was never mentioned, it was a bit, a bit of a joke, if anything. We just did it. What you have to remember is we were young and careless and carefree. And uh, so I think if we'd been older and got a bit more sense, we probably ne- would never have done it. 
Do you remember the last thing you said before they closed you up in the box? See you later, Johnny. That's all. No, no big deal. Once I was in, I'm in. And we're off. Well, I said, look, look, good luck, Rog. Good luck. Hope you make it, mate. But don't forget to let me know when you get there. A few of John's friends who had a van helped load up the box and drive it to the airport. I remember there was a frustrating and anxious time when we were taking me into the freight shed and the guy behind the desk was sort of looking a bit sort of suspiciously. That was a bit of an anxious moment, but fortunately time passed and it was okay and then they, they took the crane away. They put me, I was in a huge bloody warehouse. I could see out through the slats. And I was put up high too. And when they come to get me, some young bugger uh, apprentice was driving the forklift and he almost dropped me because it was teetering on the bloody thing. But I threw myself back towards it and it settled down. But you know, those things happen. And then in the afternoon, the fog came down. Fog came down and all the planes were delayed. So he had to just stay in there for hours and hours and hours, but we couldn't do anything about it. What was it like when you finally heard the plane's engines and you realized you were in the air? Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so it begins. That's, that's what I thought. We'll be right back. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from NetSuite. I've never worked in media before, and it's really fun to see deals come through, especially when we signed with MKBHD and the Waveform podcast. That was one of my favorite shows on YouTube, and I love that we've partnered with him. I'm Christina Ho Rodriguez, and I am a senior manager of revenue accounting at Fox Media. At Vox, I'm not so siloed in my own revenue accounting department. I'm getting to see the big picture of, of what the company is working on. In my first year, the company went through a really big merger with another media company, and we switched from our old ERP system to NetSuite. We had to integrate NetSuite really fast. It was very user-friendly right out of the box. Over the last couple months, our team developed a new revenue reporting module that makes our reporting much faster, much more automated. I have a lot of hope with what we can do in the future with NetSuite so that we're able to optimize, make our team a lot more successful, and improve our processes. We're only as good as our best data, and NetSuite allows us to see it all. Discover the power of NetSuite, a leading cloud financial system serving more than 37,000 businesses. Download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com criminal. That's netsuite.com criminal to get your own KPI checklist. Thanks to 1Password for their support. It seems like online password requirements keep getting longer and more complex. It's a lot to keep track of, especially when we're supposed to be changing our passwords all the time to be safe. 1Password uses industry-leading security to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. 
1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. You only need to know 1Password. That password protects everything else, your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. Join the millions of users and over 100,000 businesses who trust 1Password's award-winning password manager. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom criminal. That's number one, password.com criminal for two free weeks. onepasswordcom criminal. Reg Spears was in his box in the cargo hold of a Boeing 707 on his first leg of the journey from London to Paris. Was it strange to be in the cargo area of the plane, knowing that above you were were you know well, hundreds of people? Yeah. No, no, it never crossed my mind. But but the thing is, here I am. You know, what can I do? I'm, I decided to do this, and so far, so good. He says he'd already been in the box for 24 hours because of the fog delay. So once the plane was in the air and he was alone, he decided to let himself out. I was dying for a leak, but. I had a big can there, and I peed in that when I got out of the box. But silly me, I got out of the box, and from London to Paris is not very long. So in my haste to get back, I put the container of pee on top of the box and got back in and then realized I'd left the bloody thing there. It was too late to get out of the box again. He felt the plane landing, and then heard the cargo door opening and the French baggage handlers talking to each other as they entered the cargo area. And then that's when they discovered the, <laughs> the baked <laughs> can full of pee, and they weren't happy. I could hear um, Anglese, you know, they were swearing at, <laughs> at the English. <laughs> but I thought that they'd, be, that they'd know then that someone's in this bloody box, but they didn't. Nothing happened. I want, when you were on the ground or you knew that people were around, were you ever were you ever worried about making a noise, sneezing no, or something? No, no, it wasn't. The funny thing was, in, <laughs> I remember, remember that. When people are around, you're sort of smiling to yourself because you're in the box. They don't know you're in there and everything is normal or seems normal, but it's not. And that, that, that made me smile a bit. Eventually, the plane took off for the second leg of Reg's flight, heading to Mumbai. It was the longest part of the journey. I would just recall it being pitch black, and most of the time I had a pillow and blanket, so I was, I was asleep. I was just asleep. You were sleeping, but when you weren't sleeping, what were you thinking about? Everything. Um, you know, re- reflect on your life. You just think about yourself and your family and what you've done and... All, all the things that people think about. He brought a book, which he could read using the flashlight he brought. It was called The Bedside Esquire, a collection of short stories that had been published in Esquire magazine by authors like Ernest Hemingway and John Steinbeck. And that's helped run out the batteries. Uh, read a bit of, bit of that, and when it went dark, that was that. It's about 4,300 miles from Paris to Mumbai. Do you think that your athletic training helped you? You know that. that oh, sure, did. Yeah, it did. Of course, it did. It's uh, with, with with athletics, with the training, you commit yourself to it, uh, uh, and you're, you're driven, 
and that's what I was. It was I was I was doing this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do it all the way through. It was that sort of attitude, as as you said, came out of athletic training, having having that mindset. That's basically what it was. There was no fearful aspect to it all. Not at all. When you landed in India, um, yeah, what happened? Well, the plane, again, they opened the hold. I expect the hold to be open each time you come into a, 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 an airport. Uh, this time they took me out. They took me out of the... Yeah, took the box out of the um, plane and propped it on the tarmac, and they stood me up on one end, which was okay because I, I said to you, there were belts in there that held me in place. But you, but you were upside down. Yes. I just hung in there and waited. And then the crate was moved again and turned right side up. Ratch says he didn't know what was happening or what the delay was. He says at one point he could hear people talking nearby, eating lunch. And it was very hot. I took all my... I was totally naked in there because it was so hot. You took your um, clothes off. Yes, it was so bloody hot. I was sweating. And, uh, I, I wondered how, how long I could uh, last in this heat. Uh, but I'm from Australia. We're used to the heat. and It was very hot, though. That's all I remember. And I was sweating. And I was wondering whether I could sustain it. But I did. And next thing, I'm on the move. They came and got me, put, it, put me on another plane that went off to Singapore, I think. The flight from Mumbai to Singapore was about 2,500 miles. At what point did you did you realize you were really going to make it? That this was going to work? By the time I, we got to Singapore, I figured if I got to Singapore, the next hop soles, and I don't care if I get caught <laughs> because I'm home. It would be about 2,500 more miles to Australia. What were you looking forward to the most when you got home? Stepping onto Australia. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. There's nothing like Australia. It's, it's the greatest place on earth. It's the center of the universe to me. How did you know that you had arrived in Australia? The voices. What, what, ha- what happened? <laughs> the voices, when the hold opened, of course, after this long journey... The hold open and <laughs> the handlers come into the cargo and they, their voices, I knew they were, they were Aussies. So I was I was home. What did they say? They said, I hope this big fuck is not for us. <laughs> but it was. And they got me out and put me in a bond shed. So, so, so you were still in the box, but they yep. put you in, in, in a shed? In a bond shed. A bond shed, it's customs, you know, it goes in there before you. The people that um, that own the box come and get it, but it's held in a bond shed until it's cleared by customs and ha- handling charges, all that sort of thing. And the shed is also locked. We'll be right back. Support for Criminal comes from Seed Health. Seed Health's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic gives your body what it needs when it needs it. Supporting your gut health can be a pretty great starting point for supporting your overall health. 
That means getting plenty of prebiotics and probiotics. A symbiotic like seed is a combination of both. Seed helps you create a healthy microbial environment in your gut. And not only will your gut feel it, but the rest of your body too. It promotes clearer skin, good cardiovascular health, and helps you maintain healthy blood cholesterol levels. I've been taking two a day, and just last week, someone told me my skin looked really great. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash criminal and use code 25criminal to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash criminal with code 25criminal. Did you know only 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy? Crazy thing to hear, right? But it's part of the reason why Nature's Sunshine is here to help you upgrade your wellness with simple daily additions that work to fuel your body with the nutrition it needs and may not be getting. For more than 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been harnessing the healing power that Mother Nature has to offer. Their new power line focuses on providing you with superfood and whole food nutrition to support your metabolic health. From their Power Greens that has over 200 plant-based nutrients and two full servings of veggies for gut health and daily focus, to their Power Beats for better performance and enhanced blood flow that you feel immediately. Not to mention their Power Meal, which contains 25 grams of premium plant-based protein, gut-friendly fiber, and a powerful mushroom blend for immunity. This entire power line will support you in feeling your best by giving your body the nutrition it needs. The power products work synergistically when taken together, but are also great on their own. Plus, the full line is vegetarian, gluten-free, and non-GMO with no added sugar. And when you subscribe and thrive, you'll save each month and enjoy free shipping. Get 30% off the power line for a limited time. Use the code POWER30. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com. Reg Spears says he'd been in the box for more than 60 hours when it finally landed in Australia and was put in a locked storage shed. From inside the box, he could hear airline workers unloading boxes around him. He says he stayed quiet and still and waited for what felt like hours. And then, finally, he heard someone say they were leaving for a smoke break. When it seemed like everyone was gone, Reg crawled out of the box. The bond shed happened to have full of happened to be full of beer. Not that I like beer, but I was pretty thirsty, so I cracked a can of beer and drank half of it and threw it up. I think. Next, he put on the suit he'd packed. I've got into the suit because I didn't want to look uh, inappropriate around the, the air force there, carrying a bag. And I wanted, if I was going to be wandering around, I wanted to, to look appropriate. When when you got, I mean, when you got out of the box, did you close it back up so people wouldn't be suspicious? Yes, yes, I, I closed it back up, but I just pushed the ends in. And then he looked around for a way to get out of the locked shed. He remembers that there were two heavy metal double doors with a waist-high chain across them and an old-looking padlock. From inside, he could push the doors open enough to reach the chain. I found a a toolbox and I cut a bit of a hole in the chain and just jumped out and walked away. Reg says he saw a group of passengers getting off of a plane on the tarmac and joined up with them as they filed into the airport terminal. He tried to look like he was supposed to be there 
and followed the signs for arriving Australian citizens. He would have to go through customs. When he got to the counter, he says he got out his passport, smiled at the official, and was waved through. You were in Australia, but but still a long way from home. What did you do next? I hitchhiked. I knew I could hitchhike in Perth, and I, I, I hitchhiked a well, good, good way out of Perth towards Adelaide, which is my hometown, uh, until I reached the Nullarbor, Nullarbor Pla- uh, Desert. You can't get across there. The truckies won't take you, so eventually... Uh, a Catholic priest gave me some money for a train ticket to Adelaide. And uh, when I got home, I sent him the money back. So, you know, that's how I got the last part. Ratch Spears arrived home more than three days after he'd first gotten in the box in London. But he'd made it in time for his daughter's birthday. What did your family say when you arrived? Oh, they were a bit surprised. They wondered how the hell I did it. And I didn't, I didn't tell them at first. Um, because they probably wouldn't have believed me anyway. What were you doing while Reg was on his trip? Uh, do you remember uh, just worrying a lot? Do you Thinking about different yeah. scenarios? Yeah, I would bite my nails down to the elbows. John McSorley. Really uh, anxious, anxious about things because it's a long flight and it takes a long, long time to get from England to Australia on a plane or anything else. So I was very anxious and I, I wanted to hear from him post-haste. And I didn't hear from him. So in the end, I was so concerned that I notified somebody I knew from the Daily Telegraph and he contacted somebody in Sydney in the press and they flew out to Ridge's place, found out he was at home. He got home, but he hadn't bothered to let me know that he got home. And then the story broke, and in Australia it was huge news. It was big news in England. The News Chronicle at that stage, there was a paper, new paper out. The whole front page was about this story. Nothing else on the front page. I never expected anything like it. I thought if I got caught, I'd just get a kick in the bum, a a fine, or locked up, who knows, but never expected this. The Australian culture is such that they love a story like that, that somebody would be so desperate to get back to the country that he'd come back as, as freight. John, on the other hand, was not treated like a folk hero. And his employer, Hines, was not happy to discover that they had unwittingly supplied beans for the trip. And Hines, they called me into the office. And there's a difference in the cultures. Hines are very upmarket and strict and stiff. And they ticked me off for being irresponsible. Meanwhile, Ridge was having a heyday in Australia. After the story broke, customs officials checked the storage shed and found the empty box Reg had left behind. A spokesman from the airline was quoted saying, It's a miracle that Spears arrived in Perth alive, 
My blood runs cold when I think of the terrible risks he ran. The cargo could have been offloaded and left in some tropical depot over a weekend. Or he could have been discovered en route and thrown into jail. Or he could have been packed with other freight and suffocated. Or the pressurization in the cargo hold might have failed. When you realize that this had that this was now in the in the news, um, yeah. and they knew your name, were you yep. worried that you'd be in trouble with the law? Well, the immigration people, of course, and the customs came and saw me. But it just I had to fill out a form and sign it, and that was that. And the other thing was Air India with their, um, you know, they made a, they asked me to pay the, the freight charges. According to Reg, he told the airline he would not be paying. And I never heard it from them again, so that was it. What, tell me a little bit about what, you, what you've been up to since your, your feet in a box. Ah, well, I got into, into drug smuggling uh, because I'm uh, uh, a big fan of weed. I smoke it to this day. Um, I really like it. Not, I'm not much of a drinker, but I like weed uh, and hashish. He's been arrested for conspiracy to import cocaine and for smuggling and transporting cannabis resin and heroin. He's been in prison in more than one country, and he says he spent years of his life on the run. And what's your life like now? Terrific. You know, hell, I'm 80 years old and I can feel it, but... Um, yeah, you know, I don't regret a moment. Not at all. It was, uh, I had experiences that people don't have. Tell me, you said you're still friends with, with John McSorley all these years later. When you get together, do you, do you talk about this? Oh, yes, we talk about it. We laugh. Um, and for us, yes, the box is a, a real giggle matter. We, we laugh about it all the time. He'll always be in my life. Why do you think you've been friends for so long? Because we like each other. The depth of the friendship is something that's not tangible. We're very different in personalities. Very different. He's this out, real outgoing guy, and I tend to be fairly reserved, reserved Englishman. But somehow it worked, and it's continued to work, and we do anything for each other. It's a weird thing, but it's nice. It's nice to know that you can meet somebody and be that sort of close, close to them. There are certain, certain times in your life you come to a crossroads and you think, shall I do this, shall I do this, sort of do that. And people don't do it. Now he's he's rich was sort of guy where there was no such thing as can't. You can do anything. And he's this still still exists in him. John had a stroke last year, and Reg flew from Australia to London to be with him at the hospital. He said, Look look, Johnny, he said, You've just been lying in bloody bed. Let's get you, let's get you out. So he got me in a wheelchair. He took me out of the hospital, wheeled me round the streets 
wheeled me around the street and he said, you need a haircut, he said. So he's wheeled me to a hairdresser's, wheeled me into the hairdresser's and said, can you cut this guy's hair? And they did. With him, no such thing as can't. You want to do it, you do it. John's wife and son, Julie and Marcus McSorley, wrote a book about Reg's trip. It's called Out of the Box, The Highs and Lows of a Champion Smuggler. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Libby Foster, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, and Megan Kinane. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. If you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts.